You're listening to the Harris Beach Podcast, a show that explores evolving issues in the law and how they shape organizations, the way business is conducted, and how we live and work. The information provided in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials are for general informational purposes only. Thanks for listening. Here's today's host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Harris Beach Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be discussing crisis planning and management, a very timely issue given the coronavirus pandemic. With me today are partners Rajat Shah and Terry Flynn, both of whom have extensive experience in counseling organizations through difficult situations. Rajat, Terry, thanks for being here. It's uh, an unusual time for employers and their counsel alike, and it's a pretty extraordinary crisis. So I wanted to start with a question related to, to the coronavirus. Is the pandemic and it's unfolding aftermath, something any organization could legitimately prepare for? And what should organizations be considering now, most of all, as this situation unfolds? Rajat, we'll start with you. So I I think one of the key takeaways uh, that we're learning from this pandemic, which in in any crisis um, is evident, is how critical communication is. And addressing any crisis, uh, no matter how big and small, I always say remember the three C's. Right? Communication control is critical. And there's different tranches of communications or different audiences when you think about communication. External and internal communication, so that's both your employees, uh, which are the lifeblood of any organization, both during a crisis and after a crisis, uh, your shareholders as well, traditional media and social media, uh, government and regulatory agencies. Look, unfortunately, in the times that we live in today, right, in any crisis, there's always a concern of litigation. So part of any crisis communication strategy is making sure that we're managing managing to mitigate um, any potential plaintiff litigation arising from any um, any crisis. Great, that makes that makes sense. Um, Terry, what would you uh, what would you say? Are you hearing from clients at this particular time? Um, what are the some sure. of the key I mean, issues they should be looking at? But I think the key issues right now is we are not surprised by our first labor, and then the cyber related. With respect to the labor area, the attorneys that I work with are being inundated with phone calls and then a request for legal information. So as you're getting that information, you're making decisions that under the law are important, both federal and state and maybe even county. In those situations, when you get the advice, you're going to want to properly manage it and record it. And what I mean is maintain the emails and the communications you have uh, as you're moving forward, because that advice you give will not only be important to the Human Resources Division, but as Rajat mentioned, the fourth quadrant that you may be dealing with this litigation down the line. So whatever decisions you're going to be making with respect to your staff and your employees may or may not end up in litigation. And you want to be able to demonstrate that you followed the law as given to you by the lawyers and you communicated and executed in the proper fashion. So you want to make sure that not only are you recording that information in a legal context, but you're also delineating to your management first and foremost that there are certain people that will be managing that. Not everyone should be communicating in any manner or commenting regarding labor issues. 
like in any matters that we deal with in a crisis, it's very important that you define from the very beginning who is in charge. Who are the people, as Rajat said, who will be communicating both internally and externally? So if we take the internal part, which we're talking obviously flowing out of litigation, you should identify who are the stakeholders in the company that will be the spokesman or woman. It may be the head of human resources. It may be the CEO. It may be the general counsel. But either way, you need to define who that person is and share with the management and obviously in your emails to the employee base that communications will be coming by specific people on issues regarding labor. Certain communications will be coming from specific people on issues regarding cyber and the computers and so forth. You, it will depend on your business model. But you need to be organized to define how communications are going to be expressed internally and most importantly, who will be the person. And the reason why I say that is not only to contain the database of information that is being disseminated and that it's being done in a professional and legally compliant way, but it also sets the tone within the internal aspects of the business. Just presume that everything you say and everything you do will make its way beyond the company out into the overall larger environment. But it's setting a tone from the beginning that we are communicating by certain people under a certain channel of information in a certain fashion. That way you're clearly defining not only what the message is and that you're doing it appropriately, but you're also now limiting the ability of other people to interject themselves into an area that is not within their purview. So it'll make it clear to the other employment base and the staff and everyone of different levels, including other parts of management, that there are certain people that will be communicating on those issues. And as a result, not only will you limit any uh, inadvertent comments being made that may be interpreted improperly, but most importantly, down the line, when you do possibly have litigation and the plaintiff lawyers or whoever are involved, there will be a very small amount of data that's there. We do not want, and we've all seen this in many fashions, and, and we'll talk about examples where Jada and I have businesses that we have counseled, that sometimes in the first days people communicate and everyone's making comments that in hindsight appear insensitive or appear inappropriate. But if you define it very correctly, who is speaking? and you define very correctly the channel of how information is disseminated, then when they later ask for all the ESI or the electronic media and the litigation, it'll be a small corpus of information by a small group of people. And it will look professional, it'll look appropriate, and it'll look defensive instead of having multiple people across the board commenting. As we all know, those emails sometimes cause problems in litigation or pro mm -hmm. cause problems with the government if the government's looking at it. Ben, Terry is absolutely spot on, right? The importance of minimizing written communication is critical in any crisis. So I'll give you an example. Of, um, when I was a general counsel for an international company, we had a health crisis at one of our properties that we're managing where a number of people uh, became critically ill. And I, I got involved maybe six months after the crisis more on kind of cleaning up and managing the aftermath of the initial impact. And as Terry said, controlling the communication is critical um, and minimize anything that is in writing and limit who puts things in writing because emails live forever. Right? Mm -hmm. Internal emails within your company are usually not privileged. 
And as we all know, people often write things in emails that they would never say out loud. And in any crisis, right, um, you need to prepare for litigation, right? And crises are, right, my number one rule on a crisis is don't forget the compassion for your employees and your customers. And mm-hmm. so a written emails are found, which may not be the, the business philosophy or the intent of the owners and senior leadership, but if you have people in the field who are more focused on when our operations going to be restarted, um, what's the economic impact uh, to their, their field site or to their jobs, those will play and look terrible when they are discovered in litigation context. So it is extremely important, as Terry said, to minimize the written communication and particularly email. Make sure as general counsels, you are at the forefront of this um, and mandating that discussions are done verbally uh, and that any critical emails are viewed by outside counsel because as state cases mm-hmm. are evolving, internal emails within your company, even if it includes the general counsel, the, the level of privilege is dissipating. So maintaining privilege is critical getting counsel involved, you know, early and appropriate to make sure that privilege is maintained is mm-hmm. important to minimize any kind of negative economic impact out of the crisis. Ben, if I could add to what Rajat said, and he's, he's, he's totally correct when he's talking about minimizing it as well as the crisis at hand and what happens when you have the, the issue of attorney-client privilege. I'll give you another example. We represented years ago a gas utility company that was involved in an explosion that unfortunately resulted in a fatality of a young child as well as significant injuries to other members of the family. At that time, we were retained immediately that morning. We already were their counsel, but we were contacted immediately that morning by the general counsel and went to the scene of the incident. As you can imagine, in many scenarios of crises, there's there's a scene. There's a crime scene. There's an accident scene. There's some area that's where the company's exposure is at that morning, obviously the exposure was the scene of where the explosion was, because in that case, you obviously had criminal investigation as well as obviously potential personal injury litigation that would flow. First and foremost, in all these cases, you can guess is the safety and welfare of the people on the scene. And once that's done, often you will have law enforcement or government could be an OSHA matter or any any department of education or whoever, who's going to be on the scene is going to interview people and is going to find out what happened and is going to want the electric media and is going to want the paper media. Well, we made decisions. It's very important as you plan that you'd be prepared for these. So the general counsel in that case was prepared. He had a background in, in crisis management. So did we. So we worked hand in hand together. We made sure that the communications were being made um, by us as the outside counsel. So we immediately developed the privilege. We made sure that any communications that were made for the first 48 hours to the general public, because the media was interested, came from the outside counsel. That was done because we needed 48 hours to fully contain and understand what was going on. They wanted the benefit of having an outside attorney with a law enforcement background to speak on their behalf. We also preserve not bringing the company situation in the business engaged in that investigation that first 48 hours because it was important to get an understanding what happened and therefore it's better for outside counsel who had that background 
to be the person speaking to the media, working with law enforcement, and most importantly, preserving the scene. And when you do that, you've now at least given yourself some time and think about it when you plan. You're going to have different moments of the crisis. There's the first 24, 48 hours, and then, the, then it progresses. You want to determine who will be there first so you pertain the privilege, maintain it, so you can identify what's going on. Then at some juncture, once the, the, the scene was preserved and the privilege was now in play, that the attorneys now were accumulating the information under the privilege that they could then turn over to law enforcement properly. Then at some juncture, 48 hours, the term was, was made that the company itself, which is a family-owned company, would come out in the forefront. And there are various things they wanted to say to the public and to the family and to their customer base, both uh, verbally, both through written communications through media and through the website and through their customer base directly. But it gave them some time to allow us to develop the privilege, identify the crisis at hand, be able time to think and plan. And even though you may say, gee, I didn't plan ahead of time, Okay, no one can be fully prepared, but you can do your best to prepare. But when it happens, you can continue to plan. As Rajat said, he was brought in several months after. There was still planning going on at that point as he was brought in to assess it. So you should develop ways that you, you can pause and think. So in this case, the first 24, 48 hours, outside counsel involved, privilege maintained, working mm -hmm. with law enforcement. then. At some point, the company can step in because they have the business acumen to make decisions. So planning mm -hmm. and these things, as Rajat mentioned, can come in stages and you can develop it as you go. But you do want to plan ahead of time and think what is most important. And what is most important is to, is to obviously preserve material, learn what's happening, support whatever the government needs, and then go from there. But you usually want to do that under the privilege because it gives you the ability to think and to make decisions knowing full well that you'll be protected as you do it. It sounds like it's planning, planning, and planning. So, um, Rajat, perhaps you could talk a little bit about how to go about advanced planning, particularly involving management and the board of directors. Ben, thank you. Um, so I agree, and, and, and Terry's right, planning is critical. Uh, look, every company is gonna face a crisis at some point um, and may face multiple crises. But as Terry said, right, the, the, one of the best ways to mitigate any crisis is by advanced planning. It's the only way that leadership can begin to predict what may come around the corner and do their fiduciary duty to manage the risk. So all companies, whether large or small, should do an annual risk assessment right, with their senior team, uh, and then with their board to ascertain what are the most likely crises or risks that the company faces. Um, and if you have the correct risk matrix uh, that's updated, it is the best way uh, to plan and face a risk uh, that the company may face around the corner. So typical risks that all companies will face or are likely to face all right, one is right health and safety, right, which every company now in the U.S. is facing with this global coronavirus pandemic. But even without coronavirus in every industry, uh, there are probably specific health and safety issues that your industry faces uh, 
um, that you can plan for in advance. Cybersecurity breaches. Right? It's only a matter of when and how severe um, that your company is going to face a cybersecurity breach. Uh, with the increased elevation or addressing sexual harassment in the workplace, uh, it's something that every company with their HR team should be planning for, whether it's a sexual harassment claim against a CEO or a member of the senior management team or a pervasive cultural trend in the organization. Uh, it's a risk assessment and a, and a crisis planning that um, is foreseeable. Financial restatements, uh, particularly for public companies. And for companies that are either doing business overseas or even getting product from overseas, uh, planning for a foreign corrupt practices violation uh, is a risk that um, we can do advanced planning on. Once a company um, puts together a risk matrix. What's really helpful and it's something that uh, I did with my leadership team when I was a general counsel for a large hospitality company that had operations uh, across the world or table topics or simulations where we would bring either an outside law firm or an outside consultant and have a simulated crisis uh, to see how well the senior team actually implemented the plan. Even if you don't have the resources to bring out advanced uh, an outside consultant, any advanced thinking that the senior team can do with and subsequently with their board uh, better helps you prepare for a crisis around the corner. The other thing that uh, we did was we made sure that since communication is so critically important in any crisis, uh, we made sure that we had a crisis PR firm um, in advance that we worked with in order to prepare for any communication related to a crisis. I see. Very interesting. It sounds like it's, uh, it's a lot of work. Um, Terry, perhaps um, you could talk about some of the things that Rajat has mentioned. I, I guess you've had some other instances um, where you've had to work with, with companies. Do you have some examples? Sure, and it, it, separate from the, I gave you the example of the, the utility gas industry incident. In this different situation, we dealt with a large international retailing company that's a client of ours. And we were brought in, obviously, to deal with the crisis after it occurred. And, and again, in that case, like the other one, it dealt with a fatality that occurred on the scene. But as you went forward in this case, we knew that there'd be at least three years that this company was going to have to deal with this crisis in the sense they had not only litigation, but they agreed under discussions with the government that going forward, they would modify the way that they handled the business. So they're under what we call a monitorship. And that happens a lot. In some fashion, either you're under a formal scenario where someone for the government is monitoring some aspect of your business, or you're just under, you're being monitored by the media, or you're being monitored by the plaintiff attorneys, or you're being in reality monitored by your employment base and customers that are looking at going forward, what are you doing? to deal with this crisis? Did you demonstrate that you're a good steward of your customers and therefore moving forward, you're protecting them? So in that crisis, sometimes crises occur right at the beginning and they're over. Sometimes crises go on for years because you're in, you're in the retail industry or you're in the food industry and you have customer base, so they'll be watching it. So what you do in the months to go forward uh, will be important. So in those cases, we worked with the company, not only did they define where the PR would, 
but we worked with how we communicated with the government and how we communicated with the employment base. Because in those years to come, we were changing the way in which the way with the business was being done. We were doing it under a government oversight, so the employees were seeing it and customers might even see it. So what you did in those situations was work directly with the company to constantly communicate properly with the government as to what you were doing. You may do it face-to-face, you may do it in writing, do it in both, but clearly delineate it in a very positive way what you were doing and what you were learning from it and engaging them. So it's very important in a crisis, especially when you're going forward, not only on the moment that it happens, that you continue to develop and maintain the relationships you have with your colleagues in other aspects of the business. So what I mean is communicating with law enforcement, state, federal, local, which means town, village, county. If you have friendships in those areas, re-engage with those people and maintain the list of those people. Because when these crises occur, either on the day of it or the weeks or months or years thereafter, you're going to need the help and support of law enforcement or help and support of government experts or regulators. You need them to believe that you're going to handle the crisis in an appropriate way. So maintaining and developing the relationships is important, but most importantly, knowing who they are. So when you sit down, as Rajat said, and you do these tabletop exercises to plan, you're going to need to have in front of you the list and the names of the people you know in different aspects of government or in your supplier's chain or whatever it is, the issue, the entities beyond you that are going to be important as you move forward. So make sure you've kept up to date the names and the addresses and where they are and you've been familiar with those people because it'll be very important to you when you later need their help. And so very important in planning, not only to plan for the crisis per se, but plan for the expectation that you will be dealing with people beyond the boundaries of your company or boundaries of your business. That means not just private companies or publicly traded companies. I mean school districts. I even mean city hall or government. Sometimes government's got a crisis and they need to deal with other aspects of government. Knowing those people, knowing those relationships, keeping them up to date and maintaining those relationships will be very important to you. You will find out they will be of great benefit to you and they will also demonstrate to your employees your customers and the general public that you are trusted and they believe that you're a good partner and together you will move forward to it. So relationships is just as important as planning. They're interrelated. And so I I really behoove all of you as you listen to this podcast to start to think of who do you have relationships in all those sectors, which may be important to you and who are all those connected people and update it and have it available to you when the crisis occurs. It'll be a great help to you in those days and weeks and hours moving forward. Mm, very interesting. I take it that applies to smaller businesses as well, right? You do you do mean everybody. Everybody, no exception. Government, non-government, publicly traded, small companies, big companies, public companies like school districts, all of them. Understood. Okay. Now, one of the things that I know is really important in in, um, crisis management is um, to look at how you performed, um, you know, an after action review, if you will, to figure out kind of what you've learned and how you can strengthen your plan and your response. Can you talk a little bit, um, Rajat, about what goes into that review and what questions people should be asking post um, event? Yeah, Ben, absolutely. Like, as important as kind of preparing for a crisis, you know, once you 
get through it, right? And we'll all get through this current crisis and any future crises we may have. It's doing what I call a postmortem. Um, after the crisis passes, doing a self-assessment with your crisis management team, and you use it as a tool in order to better prepare uh, for the next one, right? So questions that I would ask kind of our crisis management team after we weathered through a crisis was, how well did we anticipate and prepare for the crisis that we just went through? Was it part of our annual risk assessment? Did we do a table topic on it? If it wasn't on our annual risk assessment, to right, obviously it's gonna be on your next one, but also then provide for an opportunity to discuss what else you may have risk, missed in your annual risk assessment. Second question is how quickly did we as a team diagnose the crisis? As Terry said, right, throughout a crisis, uh, there's planning and it's important to have the systems and tools in place so you diagnose the crisis early uh, rather than later. Once you realize there was a crisis, how well did you communicate the crisis? And then the last piece is how well did you manage and resolve the crisis? It's not only just about the communication and the planning, but I say that the third pillar of any crisis management plan is the process. Did you follow the process to efficiently resolve the crisis? Did everyone know what their responsibility was? Did everybody do what they were supposed to do? Did the key leaders stay calm and stay within their swim lanes? Uh, so those are kind of critical self-assessment questions. And it's a great tool to get the team to reflect on the crisis that just happened, but even more importantly, to be better prepared to mitigate the next one. Terry, what kinds of questions do you want your uh, clients asking after an event? Well, there's a very well-known company, international company that we work for, very large, and they always approach it this way. They always say after an, a crisis or an incident occurs, what are our opportunities? It's always the word opportunity, and it's an appropriate way to approach it. It's a very smart way. You need to learn from the situation. So what opportunity arises by the way you did it? And then second, they always say, could we have done it better? So A, the opportunity moving forward to learn from it and to develop from it. It may even create business opportunities or better relations with customers opportunities. But second, could we have done it better? As Rajai kind of described. And you go through that process. When you, when you approach it in a positive manner, there will always be critical elements to it. But that is not the moment to be criticizing people. You've all gone through a crisis that, like it or not, was not completely expected, didn't know what was going to happen that moment, more than likely. So everybody's exhausted, everybody's raw, uh, and therefore it's important that if you approach the meetings that you have after it, when you reassess it and you go through it as Rajat described, you approach it as what opportunities arise from this situation for all of us, our colleagues, our stakeholders, our customers, and our employees? And second, how could we have done it better? When you do that, you engage the people within your team, and as a result, you demonstrate to the general public and to your customer base and your stakeholders, and therefore, that you are using it in a proactive, healthy way, and that will move forward and will deal with it better the next time. It'll be a different crisis of a different fashion, 
But you've now built the confidence because people realize there's an opportunity here. We learned from it. We've made mistakes or we didn't make mistakes, but we can do it better. That's the way to approach it. Every client I've seen who have survived crises and ended up doing better, and not all of them do, are the ones that always look at it in a very healthy way and look for opportunities and look for the ability to assess and think, how could we have done it better? Those are the ones who moving forward will be better for the experience that they had. Mm, Sounds very, very wise advice. Um, Rajat, any last pieces uh, of advice? Yeah, look, crises never come up at a good time. But regardless of when they come up, you got to remember to keep the emotions out of the decision analysis. Because often during a crisis, common sense goes out the window. And that's why I think, as Terry said, right, the planning is so critical. Uh, If you follow the plan and you follow your process, you're going to be in the best position to mitigate uh, and get through any crisis that you're in. Again, as a general counsel, I'll say your most important task in any crisis is to stay calm, be truthful, and guide your team to implement the plan that you guys have developed. Uh, Rajat, Terry, thanks for being here today, and thanks to everybody for listening. Um, If you have additional questions or want more information, um, please visit www.harrisbeach.com. Thanks for listening to the Harris Beach Podcast. Be sure to visit harrisbeach.com to join the conversation and access show notes. Please rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast.